Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hernishan. You can find me on Twitter at MikeH underscore draft. Joined, as always, by my co-host and colleague over at Blue Chip Scouting, Devin Jackson, RealD underscore Jackson. And we have a special guest today. It's his second appearance on the podcast. Friend of the pod, Carter Donick from the Draft Network. Carter, how you doing, man? I'm good. Happy to be here. Good to have you on again. Long time no see. Like we said before uh, recording, we've uh, we've had four guests. You're two of them, and we haven't talked to you in about two months. So, no, yeah, we had some interactions down at the Senior Bowl, and nothing since then. So uh, happy to be back on and talking football. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, obviously, this past weekend we had the NFL Combine. So, you know, who doesn't love the Underwear Olympics? I know Carter from a certain tweet that you sent. I know you do. Um, <laughs> well yeah like what who doesn't love watching underwear guys in underwear late at night um on uh, on a saturday uh saturday night that's how you spend your saturday nights right definitely definitely um so i mean it's this, the combine's kind of like the senior bowl it's really hard to lose the combine but we're going to kind of just go over the, the weekend that was. Um, you know, what did you guys think of the first ever primetime combine? Uh, it, w- it was weird for sure. You know, you're used to it being like early in the morning, you know, wake up early to go see it or try to catch it throughout the day because, of, you know, it's on throughout the day, what, like nine to four or something like that. But it, it was it was weird for sure. Uh, just the fact that, you know, usually it's on what NFL Network um, but like to see it, you know, parts of it on ESPN, parts of it on ABC, you know, it was definitely interesting to say the least. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm not surprised that they made it prime time because everything is prime time these days, but it, I don't know. I, I, it sounded like the players weren't that big of fans. Agents weren't that big of fans of it so far. So, uh, I don't know, man. It's kind of a mixed bag, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, from a media perspective, I think the big thing is is the timing switch, but also kind of the switch between um, um, days as well. Because usually we have a Friday to Monday. We have the O-lineman day one. We've got um, the quarterbacks and receivers on the prime time on the Saturday. And this year, those quarterbacks and receivers were on the Thursday. I'd much rather watch those guys on a Saturday even without the time switch. So you have the time switch and you also have the day switch. I just don't think that combo was handled particularly well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to pick up what, piggyback off of what you guys said, like uh, I think it was Matt Miller uh, back when he landed in Indy um, this past week where he was saying like agents were texting him, like when is my guy even going to be running? Because there wasn't a lot of uh, communication as to like, whether the wide receivers were going to be running first group or the second group, like it really, it was kind of mismanaged. And then, I mean, I think, and I mean, your guys over at the TDN Marino and, and crabs were arguing back about this, that time switch killed so much. I mean, you had guys pulling up late, you know, lame because of how late in the day they're having to run. So they probably did all their psych texting and interviews in the morning sat around for a bit and then had to try to get warmed back up and they're not used to training for running at 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. or whatever it may be and then with some of these group sizes like the linebackers being all one group how many linebackers did we see pull up in the second 40 all of these injuries where we had hamstrings 
were the second time around for the 40 because these groups were too big and it was it was kind of mismanaged it was really disappointing and i understand now why so many players decided to sit out well i think sitting out right too is if you think your stock is good if you feel solidified with your stock there's no reason to participate because of those issues, like you said, those hamstring pulls and stuff. And this year with that uncertainty and the time change and all these uncertainties kind of hanging about, there's no reason for Joe Burrow to throw. There's no reason for Chase Young to run. We know what these guys are all about, and one time is not going to change our evaluation whatsoever on them. There are two guys that I think, and we'll get into them later, where their choice to kind of sit it out may have affected them, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, speaking of Chase Young, though, did you hear the conversation that uh, Lewis Riddick and uh, Mel Kuyper, and then we're having about Chase Young. Like, no, because we don't have ESPN. We're Canadians, so yeah. All right, so I'll give you a rundown. So basically, they were having a discussion, and Mel Kuyper was disappointed in the fact that uh, Chase Young didn't like run or participate, and was saying that like his last three games, like his last couple showings, weren't that great because he didn't get any sacks or anything. Oh, and no. I was just, and Lewis Riddick was like basically saying that it really doesn't matter because like we seen the film we know what he can do but it was just funny that they were going back and forth and like mel kuyper of course he's mr espn been doing mock drafts forever but i thought it was interesting because like i mean chase young is a transcendent talent but yet here mel kuyper was trying to find like a fault in him and saying like oh he doesn't want to compete you know, he doesn't want to run. I want to see his 40 time, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was interesting. I think with a high profile player like that, really whatever you do, there's going to be naysayers on both sides saying, oh, you should do this. You should do that. If he did perform, people are going to say, well, that's not smart. He should be resting. He should be trying to get healthy for the NFL team. He's going to be on a couple of months, right? So I think either way, you're going to have people on both sides. And Kuiper, again, with this three game disappearance thing, just watch the tape, man. Don't box score scout. He was all over the field in those games. Double, triple team, still getting pressures. The Clemson game, he was amazing. Again, yeah. no no, no sacks there, but he was an amazing player in that game. And Ohio State almost came out with a win in that game. And I just, I just don't know where that stuff comes from. Obviously, it comes from, I guess, box score scouting like that and seeing the zeros on the score sheet. But it's just it's just so, so false and so... Um, so not good of an indicator to kind of see where he's at as a player. Reminds me of that of that tweet I saw where it was like, you know, Chase Young may have had 16 sacks, but like, what did he do against Penn State and Wisconsin the first time around? He collected those sacks against Rutgers and Maryland, which is hilarious when you think about it because he had like three sacks in the games that he apparently did nothing in, and he was suspended for those other two games. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you just got to okay boomer him and just, and just move on. Um... So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this before we hit record. So what we're going to do for the next, we're going to kind of go through day by day and just, I think we're just going to go around the three of us um, and go position by position, just like one winner and one, I don't want to say loser, but just someone that kind of, you know, didn't quite live up to expectations. So uh, Carter, why don't you start us with uh, your day one winner slash loser for the quarterbacks? Okay, so... I expected him to be a winner in this type of an atmosphere. I expected us, his athleticism and kind of clipboard stuff to shine, and that was Jalen Hurts. Yep. Again, there's still kind of there's kind of questions with him with his anticipation, still in his processing, and I have those issues still. And I don't think he's a slam dunk prospect by any means. But again, he showed off the athleticism with the four five nine. 
there was a lot of, there was a comparison today to Le'Veon Bell and it was I mean obviously he's he's not Le'Veon Bell and he's not going to play a remotely close position but pretty much identical athletic numbers between those two and also the whiteboard right that's one thing that we don't really have access to but by all accounts he was great in team meetings great in the interviews great on the whiteboard and again we don't really have access to that but you can see just by his nature and his by his leadership ability you can kind of see that shine through even without access to those things so again great performance by him and i don't know if it's necessarily going to change his stock overly but it'll one team will definitely already like him and one team will be solidified into potentially choosing him after this performance uh i would say uh biggest winner day one uh jordan love actually i think that he's continuing to gain momentum uh from the senior bowl he had a great senior bowl and then again he tested really well threw the ball really well at the combine uh i i think that you know it's a legitimate argument you know not between you know him to uh, Justin Herbert and those next crop of quarterbacks after Joe Burrow who will be picked. And I think that Jordan Love now, he's showing, you know, his potential. And I think that team will really fall in love with him and even potentially have a team trade up for him. You know, maybe a high-profile team, you know, maybe, I mean, the Saints could be a possibility. It looks like now the Colts maybe, you know, it will be interesting to see, you know, what team – falls in love with him and will, you know, risk kind of some other draft picks to, to trade up and get him because, like, he might be gone, you know, within the first six or seven picks of the, the NFL draft. Yeah, that's another good one. Uh, just to give a third perspective, I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. Um, listen, I mean, we all knew he was fast. We had seen him run read option, and we knew that he had breakaway speed, so that didn't really surprise me. We knew that he could throw the ball with the best of them, so what he did doesn't really impress me that much. However, where he does impress is that in the post, sorry, in the pre-draft process, he's really done a good job of kind of silencing the critics when it comes to his mental toughness or his leadership. He did a great job of kind of commanding the room when he was in, you know, in Mobile for the Super Bowl. Comes down to the combine, and there's the videos of him while the, the rest of the, the QBs are doing the bench press, and he's like yelling and screaming and getting everyone hyped up. He is kind of trying to buck that narrative that he's you know a shy, reserved kind of guy and how much of a leader is he going to be. So I think that he's really kind of answered some of those mental questions, which was really his biggest knock. Do I think that he's worthy of a top five pick? No. Do I think he's worthy of a top ten pick? No. He's probably going to be my last first round player this year. But you could talk me into kind of top 15 pick and I do think that he could, in the right system, be successful right away. Um, the running backs, I mean, the running backs for the Senior Bowl and running backs for the Combine, it's really hard to get a, uh, any sort of read on the position because it, the testing is, for the most part, pretty meaningless. I think the three of us could probably agree that the two biggest winners are A.J. Dillon and Cam Akers. I'll also go Jonathan Taylor just because, again, he kind of confirmed what we saw, but some of the naysayers for some reason thought he lacked breakaway speed, even though he has an incredible track background and stuff. Yeah, but, again, four, eight, right? <laughs> yeah, running four three nine at, what, 229 or whatever? Insane. Also, he didn't run with the running backs, but I kind of consider him a running back, and that's Antonio Gibson out of yep. Memphis. Versatile player. He plays both receiver and running back, and he also ran a four three nine at, like, the same weight as Taylor. And... 
and there was crickets about him and everyone was going off on Taylor, right? So obviously Taylor's a superior player and superior prospect, but Gibson, a nice kind of mid-round pick, similar to Tony Pollard last year out of Memphis, who had great production in his first year with Dallas. Devin? Yeah, I was going to say Jonathan Taylor um, as well. I think that the the fact that people were really down his speed, his breakaway speed was just ridiculous. I mean, we saw the tweets during the season. Uh, we saw there was guys talking about the amount of carries he was getting and stuff like that. But I think he, he solidified that he, he's going to be a value pick and that he, he will produce an NFL. I, I truly believe that. And that, like I say, he has that breakaway speed net. This track background is coming to fruition. So I think that, you know, for him to go out and make that statement, I, I think that was really impressive. Antonio Gibson was also someone else that, um, you know, kind of between the running back receiver that they were listing as. I think that he, he had a really nice combine as well. Now, I just realized that I, I asked for the running backs and they didn't, uh, you know, go same day as the quarterbacks, but whatever. We'll just kind of transition away from that. Uh, wide receivers, tight ends. I'll be honest, I hate this tight end class. I thought that the whole day was, you know, for the tight ends was rather sluggish. Uh, Adam Troutman was probably the biggest winner, and I, I am not an Adam Troutman fan. Uh, Albert, okay, Alberto, because I'm not going to try to pronounce that last name. I mean, he, his last name makes mine look easy to say. Um, I mean, Dobbs mentioned it today that, you know, great, he had 4.49, you know, speed. But if you watch the tape, everyone thought he was going to run like 4.8. Um, and he just can't stay healthy. So what does that really do for him? Not a whole lot. Uh, but if you want to talk wide receiver winners, I think there's two. And, and, and Devin, well, one, one, one is from your neck of the woods, being that he, he is within your country, and uh, that would be Henry Ruggs. And the other one is from where Carter and I are from, the Great White North. Um, it's slightly warmer where he's from than, when, than where we are. Uh, that's Chase Claypool. Denzel Mims as well. Oh, Denzel Mims too. Yeah, he he had a, a phenomenal day. Um, and he was definitely one of my winners. Uh, Justin Jefferson, another one that had yep. a, a much faster forty time than people were expecting. Uh, Henry Ruggs, of course, we knew he was going to blow away with speed, and he continued to do so. Um, and I, I think we all know kind of uh, who are one of our biggest losers is is a receiver, um, but. Yeah, Denzel Mims was definitely another name that that popped into my mind in terms of winners. Chase Claypool, he had a, he had a phenomenal forty time. Um, so it, I mean, you pretty much hit on the nail. But you know, I also wanted to add in Justin Jefferson for my uh, beloved LSU Tigers. And you're a homer. <laughs> hey, wait a minute! Is it Claypool Canadian? Shut up with your narratives. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Denzel Denzel Mims too was another another. Uh, Great combine. Carter, you got Well, you know I love my Canucks, so obviously got to go with Claypool, like you said, running that superb of a time at 239 pounds. And again, those that, that weight's a big thing because people are debating, is he a receiver, is he a tight end? Well, with that weight, he can be whatever you choose, right? He's a versatile weapon. You can use similar to kind of Evan Ingram, how he's used in New York, similar to how Jonu Smith is used in Tennessee. Versatile weapon that can be used all over the place, and he showed off that freakish athleticism. And... Looking at him live at the Senior Bowl, I, I'm not all that surprised by this. He moved well, and he moved fast and really efficiently for his size down there. So this kind of just confirmed that for me. Uh, as as for every kind of other receiver and the rest of the receiver class, Mims, 
and his three cone. His forty was great. Four three nine was great, but the three cone at six 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 really really stood out to me. And I think for his size, that's an incredible time. And for tight ends, again, like we mentioned, Alberto. If there's one combine result that was the most shocking, it would definitely be this for me. Like if you told me coming in that he ran a five flat, I honestly wouldn't have been like super surprised because he he looks that slow on tape. Um, he does. And it's just incredible to. It's incredible to me that he ran that fast of a time and it didn't even look like he was moving fast when he was running it too. So like, I don't know if like it, he, he ran it, but like, I don't know if that's going to, it might boost him on NFL teams boards, but like, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted by that one. Cause I just don't understand that one. I, um, yeah. Alberto was one of the weirdest combine like that. That was weird. Um, I know some people. I've seen Jerry Judy listed as a um, as a combine loser uh, because you know he ran, only ran four four three, and I don't think people realize just how fast that is. Like that is moving, but like this was a weird uh, combine in terms of like agility drills because like everybody at like every position seemed to bomb the agility drills with the exception of like Denzel Mims, and that was about it. Because like well. I'm pretty sure if you threw on Alabama film, you can tell that J- Jerry Judy can uh, he he can cut and he can change direction real quick. Uh, he 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 can he can stop on a dime or a nickel or um, a nickel. But <laughs> <laughs> you knew where you knew exactly why I put that I, one in I, there. <laughs> I I knew exactly where you headed with that. But yeah, Judy <laughs> s- reminds me a bit of Chad Ochocinco, or I guess Chad Johnson. Pardon me. Um, his combine way back in the day, I think we all agree that like, I mean, I didn't really watch him in his prime, but I think we all agree he's a quick receiver. You have no concerns with his agility with his was, he ran just as slow, uh, three cone as DK Metcalf and you would not compare those players whatsoever. So Jerry Judy again, slow, (laughs) slow three cone, but it's, it's not an issue because it doesn't show up on tape. And yes, he was a loser of the combine because his combine numbers besides the 40 were great. His explosion numbers were relatively down for his size. But again, similar to Calvin Ridley at Bama just a couple years ago, we did the same thing with him overblowing his combine numbers. Exactly. He's a great player, nuanced, crafty player who succeeds in numerous facets. And we just can't overthink this one. And he still should go top 20 come draft day. So... I mean, it's funny you mentioned the Chad Johnson comparison because when I posted my big board, like right after the Super Bowl, and the player comp I gave for um, uh, for Jerry Judy was a hybrid of Odell Beckham coming out of LSU and Chad Johnson in his prime. That's damn good company. There's a reason why Jerry Judy is my number three overall player. Like he's damn good, and I think people just need to like cool the Jets, kind of like how people kind of. I mean. I was not the biggest DK Metcalf guy last year, but people really overblew his, you know, his slow agility or his underdeveloped route tree. He, if you get the guy in the right system, it's not going to matter. Well, I think with Judy, maybe it it I'm not going to say necessarily deserves to be more overblown because I don't think it matters whatsoever, but with Metcalf, right? Agility was not a big portion of his game. Agility for Judy is a big portion of his game, but again, that agility still shines on tape. So it's not like the, the testing number is a good indicator of that. With Metcalf, he is stiff, relatively yeah. stiff, but I mean, it doesn't matter for him, but that testing did kind of indicate what we saw on tape. With this, completely different. The tape is way, way different than the testing. Uh, so, I mean, I think that 
we're just kind of we'll we'll talk more about the winners than we will the losers because no one wants to do that. No one wants to like haggle on a guy for having a bad combine or or a slightly disappointing combine. Uh, my QB quote unquote loser would be Jake Fromm. Um, I'll just rifle through all three at once. Yeah, Fromm just he he doesn't have it. He does not have starter upside. You could tell when he was throwing. It seemed like he was trying to whip it as hard as he could just to show that he has arm strength, but he doesn't. Uh, wide receiver, I know this is going to sound kind of cliche. I think the biggest wide receiver loser is still Tyler Johnson. I mean, yes, the tape is what it is, and you can say that he's a, a top 100 guy or you can say he's the seventh rounder. It really doesn't matter to me. But you're talking about someone that skipped the, you know, the Shrine game to say he was going to focus on the Combine and then skip the workouts at the Combine. So he's really putting all his eggs in one basket at the Minnesota Pro Day. And if he bombs, he's screwed. And then tight ends, can I just basically say the entire group? Because I really am just, I, I hate this tight end class. I don't see a lot of upside in any of them. I don't have a single tight end graded you know, above a late second round pick. I agree with Biggest Loser. I think Jake Fromm did not have an impressive day at all. Um, just watching him throw, he just didn't look comfortable. Uh, just slightly out of rhythm. You, you know, just wasn't connecting on his passes. I mean, I, I think he'll do better at his pro day, but I, I, I see, eh, I just don't see it either. Honestly, receiver. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people have gone at him, but Jalen Rager, uh, only for the fact that you know. I, I get that his, his film speaks for itself and everything like that. But just for the fact that, you know, if you're going to talk up, they're going to run faster than rugs, you know, 4-3 type speed. And then you outrun, what, what a 4-5. Um, that is just not a good look, you know. Uh, I'm sure he, he is that fast. He, he's shown that he's that legit fast. But just from the, the standpoint of, you know, just just don't – this I, I would avoid saying with 40 time you think you're going to get or – saying that you will get a certain 40 time because then when you don't, you know, it looks bad. So just from that aspect, uh, in, in terms of just predicting that you're going to run faster than somebody and then you don't even get close, you know, that that's just not a good look. Uh, tight, tight ends, it just says what it is. Uh, n none of them really impressed that much. Uh, I think they pretty much speak for themselves. Yeah, I'm a sound like a broken record, but again, at the quarterback position, didn't show a quality arm, um, kind of showed the same thing we saw on tape with kind of struggling to throw deep, struggling to throw those like post routes, those corner routes, those seam routes, just anything in the middle to deep sections of the field, really, he just struggled with and the ball fluttered. As far as receivers go, I mean, I'd bring up both those guys you said, Rager, um, for the reasons you mentioned, and then also Tyler Johnson. For Tyler Johnson, if you're, again, if you're, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket and you're saying, okay... No shrine game, but I'm going to focus on the combine. Now saying no combine, either A, you've got a really bad agent in your ear telling you what to do that's not doesn't know how this process works and is not doing you any favors. B, you realize you're not going to run a very good time and you're scared and you don't want to do it. Or C, you're just flat out unprepared. So I think any of those three options are really the only options possible for this, and all three are not good options. So I think he's a definite stock down player no matter what the case was this week. Now, interviews were still like, I mean, hopefully he, he did well in interviews. I don't I don't really know. I don't have the access to that, but that would be important to kind of um, show that his maturity and his his um, ability off the field aren't huge question marks like some have been proposing they are. 
All right, yeah. And, uh, in fact, I think we kind of we we all kind of have have um, hated enough, for lack of a better term. We've Jakai polited enough on the uh, on the tight end position. Um, I mean, we already talked about our, our running back winners for day two. Uh, O-line, uh, any of the top, like, five or six tackles? Seven, if you wanted. I think that if you look at the way I have the top seven tackles, Jedrick Wills, great combine. Tristan Wirfs, ungodly combine. Andrew Thomas came in taller, bigger, and with longer arms than anyone thought and came in a better athlete than anyone thought. Makai Becton is a terrifying human being. We knew that, but we found out just how terrifying. Austin Jackson, impressive enough athletically, and yes, the tape is meh, but, you know, again, he was coming off of giving bone marrow to his sister, so that was going to affect his tape this year because it kind of takes a lot out of you. Josh Jones, decent enough. Matt Pert, I love Matt Pert. Long arms, massive hands, pretty decent athlete, too. High upside. All seven of them won. Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, he won. Like, there were a lot of winners on the offensive line. Well, yeah, I'll say Cleveland, that last name you mentioned, I think that's a big one. Um, I think kind of he confirmed what we saw on tape. He was an elite mover on tape. I think he struggled with anchor and kind of against power and some of those issues on tape. And I don't think we really, he really got those answered. But athletically, he was amazing. Worfs, like you said, probably the biggest winner of the entire combine. Just unbelievable. Like that 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 36 and a half inch vertical at that size was He's just... scary. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> Oh, I would not want to meet that guy in a back alley, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> You're but, small. Uh, you probably wouldn't want to meet any of these guys in a back alley. <laughs> oh, oh no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, looking at any of these guys. Oh, maybe maybe Nick Harris might be the guy I'd be able to take maybe best. Uh, Nick Harris is, that, is shorter than me, so yeah, that's probably the only guy that I could legit... And, and he's also the nicest dude, so like he probably wouldn't want to fight you, so... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I guess you kind of you covered it with the tackles. I mean, no one lost out of the tackle group. Uh, but as far as kind of interior O linemen go, I'll go point out a few more notable, impressive players. Matt Hennessy out of Temple, yeah, completely aced this pre-draft process so far. Looked amazing at the Senior Bowl. Looked crisp, efficient, whatever. Just looked perfect at the combine with his movement skills. Um, he's not again the most powerful guy. He's not going to blow you away. But he's an effective puller, he's an effective center, and he's very versatile and can play in practically any scheme. So I think he is a riser. I would not be shocked to see him sneak into round one with this interior O-line class kind of being up in the air. Cesar Ruiz also had a great day, and he's kind of probably viewed as interior O-lineman number one right now. He's kind of maybe the consensus top guy, and he did nothing to kind of dispel that notion. I heard names that I like on both sides, both tackles and, and uh, interior linemen. Uh, Talk about start, your guy, Caesar. Uh, you should have saw me. I, I wish this was a video podcast because I was literally, literally fist pumping the air when he said Caesar Ruiz. Um, <laughs> man, his, his movement skills, his footwork, everything about him. I, I, I just love everything about this game. Um, and he, I, I, I tweeted this out, you know. After his combine run, um, I, I honestly believe he'll be a late first round, early second round pick in, in the draft. I think a team will uh, will take a chance on him for sure. Um, but yeah, Tristan Worse, like you guys were pretty much covering, uh, he had a phenomenal combine day. Uh, pretty the pretty much the best, you know, in the entire combine. Um, but those are just my two takeaways right there. Cesar Ruiz. 
Tristan Wurz, two guys that, that impressed me the most um, from the combine. And, and pretty much, I really don't have anything bad to say about the offensive linemen. I think as a as a group, really, that they, they all did pretty well, in my opinion. I, I really there wasn't one guy that was like, ah, I don't know, you know, he didn't really have that great a day. But it, in general, I think I think they they all did well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's really only one guy who would qualify as a loser, and it's not necessarily anything he did down in Indy. It just kind of confirmed what we all really thought, and that's Trey Adams, the tackle out of Washington. We were talking about this before uh, we came on the air, was that, I mean, two years ago, three years ago, Trey Adams was being talked about as, you know, a future first-round pick, being like a franchise left tackle and injuries have just zapped him of any athleticism. When you're 6'8", it's already hard on the body, but when you've had two back surgeries, I think two knee surgeries and a couple of ankle surgeries, like his body is just giving out on him, and it's really sad to see. And Indy just kind of confirmed it. Like He couldn't really move in the 40. His on-field, he really struggled with movement. Like It's just it's really sad, and... I mean, I was listening to Stick to Football today, and they were talking about maybe someone's going to take a flyer on him in, like, round six, round seven, but we may be looking at a UDFA. Nah, nah, I don't have anything else to say. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> uh, I guess... I just heard silence, so... Uh, adding, <laughs> adding to Devin's point about Ruiz maybe going uh, back of the first round, I think... 49ers are a perfect fit for him and Kyle Shanahan's wide zone scheme there. I think he's such a great mover in space that I think that would really allow him to kind of play to his full strengths. Um, and maybe early in the second round, Cincy would be a nice fit with Joe Burrow, giving him some added protection. Uh, and I don't really see him escaping the top 40 picks at this point. Oh, definitely not. Um, other than that, they're, I mean, like we said, like the offensive line class from top to bottom, for the most part, just did insanely well. Um, day three was interesting because one of the position groups, or one of the uh, three position groups did fantastic, one was awful, and one everyone got hurt. So, let's start with the defensive line. I think that regardless of the agility, which is not his game, Derek Brown had a fantastic combine. Uh, Justin Matabuike from Texas A&M, again, fantastic. I think we all know where we're going with the biggest winner. Sorry, Devin, it's another Canadian. It's it's my guy, my younger brother, don't ask questions, Neville Gallimore. I don't have a problem with him being a winner. Uh, for <laughs> uh, Excuse me, sir, I, I love Neville Gallimore, too. I'm not from ca- Canada, damn it. Um, <laughs> You're an honorary Canuck on today's podcast. <laughs> but yeah, Neville Gallimore definitely killed it uh, at the combine. There's no getting around that. Um, had a phenomenal day. Someone that me and you have been talking about, Mike, uh, for the last couple of weeks, really, last month or two. Someone and, that got me in crap at the company we used to write for. I'm just going to leave it at that, and we'll talk more about that another time. Uh, <laughs> moving forward, though. <laughs> Carter, who you got? <laughs> uh, well, again, like you said, Gallimore, terrific combine. Um, he ran what like a four eight nine at over three hundred pounds. I mean, he was just ridiculously moving for that. I think three ten, and he he ran like four eight nine. And oh. I mean, he's he's okay. 
Neville Gallimore was being talked about as, as a uh, nose tackle because he's only like 6'1", 6'2". He and I are about the same height. But he didn't show up at like 320, 325 like some people thought. He came in just over three. That's a that's a three tech. He answered a lot oh, of yeah. questions. No question. Um, I think at nose tackle, you're limiting what he does best, and that's rushing the passer, and that's using that burst to split gaps and using that explosion to kind of win in finesse ways. Because right now, he doesn't really win with power. He wins with that athleticism. And I think he could kind of stand to become better with his hands and more consistent in other ass other facets of the game. Pardon me. Um, but that three-tech right now, that's where he's going to play at the next level, and that's where he's going to succeed. So good to see him coming at that weight and look to have an easier transition. Uh, my loser for the interior D-line, if we want to go there now, uh, was... It, it For me, Rashard Lawrence had a weird workout. For one, I don't know what he was doing with his hands anytime he was moving. His hands were like Edward Scissor hands, just all over the place doing all of the drills, which slowed him down so much. And it really kind of affected his 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 functional movement skills. It was it was very bizarre. I've never seen that in the decade I've been watching the combine. Yeah, it was weird for sure. Um I was watching as well, wondering what what is he doing, um, going through those drills like that, you know. Uh, but I, I mean, like like you were saying, you know, I think the defensive lineman group as a whole uh, did pretty solid. So yeah, I had no real complaints. So I, I think they're at, you know they're fine in my opinion. I, I don't I don't really see anything too, you know, drastic or anything like that. Uh, moving on I think to I've been kind of overly oh, sorry, pe- pessimistic so far. Oh, my bad. I just want to include oh, no, one more ahead. guy. I've been overly pessimistic so far. So I want to include a winner. I know you mentioned him, but want to give him more more time here in the spotlight. Dustin Matabuike, awesome, awesome day. Looked really fluid in kind of all the movement drills. Was super explosive at a great 10-yard split. And this is a guy that, like, you turn on – he needs more consistency, but you turn on the Alabama tape, this is a top 15 type player. Um, and again, he needs more consistency, but he's a perfect fit in that mid-second round. The gap between him and and these other guys, like the gap between him and Ross Blaylock and and Neville Gallimore is is pretty small. And I'm not even sure if there is really a gap between them. So I think he needs more attention and more coverage at this point. There really isn't much of a gap. If you, I'm looking at my big board now, and I've been kind of tinkering with it. I kind of adjusted how I would rank some of the guys on like the top 70. Uh, but like, I have it as like Neville Gallimore at 30 overall, Ross Blacklock at 31, and Matabuike at 42. Like, there's really not a very big difference. And you, I mean, you could tell me that Justin Matabuike is ahead of Neville Gallimore, and I'd have no complaints. Um, you know, they're just, they're all very similar. I think all of them are now top 50 locks. Um, Seguing to the edge rushers, it was really hard to find someone that was participating in this group. Because Chase Young was sitting it out. Caleb on Chase on, who would have nailed the figure eight drill, was sitting it out. Um, Josh Uche, he was sitting it out as well. Like, there were a bunch of guys that, you know, were sitting out for different reasons. Um, I guess the biggest winner for me, probably Jabari Zaniga, Jason Strobridge, or Zach Bond. Like, really, one of those three, take your pick. Uh, Zach Bond, maybe. Yeah, like <laughs> they I'd were say all... Zuniga just 
just because kind of I think we had more questions about his fit at the next level. Is he athletic enough to play outside? And he answered those questions with ease. Also looked a, mo- a lot more flexible than kind of I assumed going in. Like Greener got most of the kind of hype and attention this past year on that defensive line. But again, Zuniga, great player, versatile. And I think he answered a lot of questions with particularly those explosion numbers. A lot more burst um, than kind of I saw on tape. And I think I'm going to have to go rewatch the film on him and see if uh, he deserves a much higher selection. Yeah, I kind of worried he was going to be for, uh, well, the next Ja'Kai Polite, which is kind of why I was a little lower on Zuniga. Um, is that like with, when you looked at Polite, he was great on tape, and then he showed up on, at the combine and he was out of shape or anything. I had questions about Zuniga and, and that going into the combine, so I was a little lower on him. I'm going to have to go back and watch his tape. I think one more that he could throw in there was Curtis Weaver, because when I watched his tape, he, he didn't look athletic. And I had effort concerns, but he actually showed out as a pretty impressive athlete at the combine. So again, gonna have to go back and watch his tape and find out whether what I thought beforehand and what I thought afterwards are matched up. Maybe he just cut weight or focused on the combine. But I just what he showed on the field, I didn't see on tape. Now I'm glad you brought up Weaver because that, besides Albert O, I think that was the biggest kind of discrepancy I saw between the tape and. The fi- and the testing numbers um, we, we saw this past weekend reminds me a lot of Jordan Willis out of Kansas State a couple years ago just in the fact that like no one saw these types of agility numbers like that three cone especially kind of really coming and Jordan Willis didn't have that on tape and hasn't proven to have that on tape at the NFL level with Cincinnati so Curtis Weaver body type is a bit of an issue to me like he he kind of has a sloppy looking body and I didn't really expect him to run well he did run well but I still have concerns about his overall athleticism and his overall upside. Good production at the collegiate level. Perfect kind of third, fourth round pick. But I don't think you're looking for a, a, a super productive upside starter in him. Devin, you got anything? Uh, no, not really. I, just just really... Hit. I think we all know where we're going next, though. All right. Uh, we, we talking edge losers? I think we all know. I think we all know. It, it has to be Epineza, right? Yeah. Like, Throw I know he doesn't win boy. with his... Yeah. I know he doesn't win with speed, but I was hoping for, like, 4, 8, eight 4, 9, not 5, 1. I mean... I, I'm, I'm not to not not to harp on on and not to blow smoke up your ass, uh, Carter. But your guys, Kyle and Joe, they were talking about like, you know, yes, he doesn't win with 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 speed, but like I think it was Kyle that brought up the only two players that you could really comp him to as a best case scenario are Trey Flowers and Michael Bennett, and Bennett just has ungodly work you know work ethic, and Trey Flowers was drafted by the Patriots, which mask your weaknesses. And if he doesn't land in an ideal situation that's willing to mask with his weaknesses or land in the Patriots that can, you know, just have him do the one thing he's good at and nothing else, I think you're looking at someone that's going to be kicked into a defensive tackle in a 4-3 system. I don't see someone that can be put out as a 4-3 defensive end and certainly not as a 3-4 outside linebacker. So he actually lost a position for me. He's actually been moved to a new position. Well, I mean, I always thought he was kind of too stiff um, and too one-directional to play that 3-4 linebacker spot. So I always kind of envisioned him as a big 
4-3 edge is basically what I thought. But now it's big 4-3 edge and versatility of play inside, but maybe even just play inside, right? So I think that's yeah. a big question mark. We're, we're talking like, like we five said, tech, that's, maybe a 3-tech. That's tech. a killer time. Yeah, again, very scheme-specific at this point, because Trey Flowers also very scheme-specific. We saw him go from the Patriots to the Lions, which is just Matt Patricia's Patriots all over again, right? So you need a very specific yeah. scheme to kind of accent that and utilize those skills. I got in a lot of flack with Iowa fans for for saying that Epinesa is going to drop out around one. Look, I still I still like the dude, and it doesn't really change my evaluation much because again, we didn't expect him to be a great athlete on film. But when's the last time you saw a, a, a an, an edge defender run a five one and get drafted in the first round? It's just not going to happen. No. And I think he's still a solid value at the top of the second, top 50, but those combine numbers are, are killer. I think he'll probably clean it up and probably run in like the 4.9, range of the Iowa Pro Day. Because um, again, like everything that could have went wrong really went wrong for him. And even his bench press numbers were pretty low too. I think he was like third last out of edge defenders with like 17 reps, I think. I might be mistaken with that. And for a strength guy, that's like not that. good. No, no, th- not at all. So I think it was, it was John Ledger that... That was saying that like Epineza, like people can take him in like I think he said the top three rounds. He was good. It's like, oh damn, I didn't know that people were like that out on Epineza. But I don't know. That might have just been a maybe a little bit of a in the moment overreaction. But I mean, Devin and I have heard from Iowa fans in the past when we've been low on them. So I mean, it's good to see that you you came out okay. Uh, the only ones oh, more rowdy was, it, than <laughs> the they, only ones more they, rowdy they all than said... Northwestern. Yeah, they also they were taking screenshots and gonna prove me wrong on draft day. So, uh, not gonna lie, I'm gonna get a bit nervous on draft day if he's uh, he's taken first round. But uh, you know, it's just it's just kind of my best prediction on what's gonna happen, basically based on recent trends and basically the NFL history. So, if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong. I really like Epineza, but I just don't think the NFL is gonna value that type of player very highly. I mean, this is a guy that we were talking about really in you know, the last couple of weeks, where like. His, his value was starting to kind of begin at 16 with the Falcons. And now it's like uh, 32? Like, really, I can't see him sliding into the first round. I think I'll probably still end up with a first-round grade but because the film was good. But that athletics, man, like, th- it's one of the rare, like, true combine losers we saw this week. I th- yeah, I, w- I would pretty much agree uh, with, with both of your sentiments. Um, I think I still think there's still kind of a part of me that believes that a team will go still pick him late in the first round. Uh, and it, I guess it just comes down to scheme fit. But I, I feel like they it, it might be one of those things where they feel like they can't miss out, miss out on him, I guess. But. Yeah, his combine day wasn't good at all. Uh, it was de- very disappointing, uh, just the numbers and everything like that. You, you could tell on film that he's stiff, you know, but, man, you, you didn't think his athletic numbers are going to be like that. Um, I, I think he somehow still finds a way to sneak in the first round. I think a team will overdraft him, uh, undoubtedly, because uh, they, they'll like his size and what he has on tape. But I don't know, man. Um That's kind of just my gut feeling from it. All right, next group was the linebackers. This was the group in which everyone got hurt. Isaiah Simmons runs the, like, best 40 you could have imagined for Isaiah Simmons, so I think that that kind of makes him the de facto winner. 
Um, six three and five eighths, legit two thirty, and runs what was it four three nine? <laughs> um, like that's nuts. Then Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen go down with it, you know, with hamstring injuries. Surprise, surprise, another hamstring injury running the forty. Um, really, the linebackers. I mean, Willie Gay Jr. Other than like Isaiah Simmons and the top two uh, outside of Isaiah Simmons, Willie Gay Jr. had like probably the best combine of really any of the linebackers who did everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had what Patrick Queen, um, who was the other linebacker that went down with a hamstring injury, but Murray. Yeah, Kenneth Murray. Those are two guys that people were. You know, behind Simmons, that thought, you know, maybe later in the first round, the teams would, would pick one of those two up. Um, so it kind of sucks that both of them pulled their hamstrings uh, for sure. But Willie Gay uh, Jr. is definitely is someone you've been talking about a lot for sure. You, you've you mentioned his name quite a bit uh, and just love his game. And he, he, he definitely had, a, you know, impressive combine as well. <clears throat> but yeah, it, it was just disappointing to see those two linebackers, those uh, you know, two top three linebackers at least in this class, kind of go down with with an injury, hamstring injury, and, and it just makes you wonder, you know, what you were talking about earlier, just the forty time change affecting their routine. They're probably running in the morning usually or early afternoon, um, and having to sit around and wait and stuff like that. And then linebackers, I think one of one of the the most important things is the forty time because you want a linebacker that can cover sideline to sideline for sure. Um, and if there are any red flags about speed, that that could cause their value to to kind of shrink as well. So you know that kind of sucks. But like you were saying, Willie Willie Gay definitely had uh, an impressive combine for sure. They all ran fast, even Evan Weaver who. When you look at him on film, he looks like he doesn't have an athletic bone in his body. Even he ran fast. You know, Cam Brown, our guy from Penn State, Devin, I mean, we, yes, love, us sir. Some, we love us some Cam Brown here. I mean, for a dude as big as he is, 6'5", 235, with, you know, arms down to his knees, he ran like 4'7", and showed sideline-to-sideline side ability, which we had seen a little bit at Mobile, but not a lot during the regular season. So, like... There weren't a lot of. I don't think there was a, a linebacker loser. I don't know what you think, Carter. I mean, I don't think there's really a loser either. I'd agree with you. I think maybe just Murray because we were expecting so much and he pulled out with the hamstring. Obviously, that's nothing to do with him. It's just an unfortunate situation that all this happened and we didn't really get to see him shine. As far as the rest of the linebackers go, I thought obviously, I mean Isaiah Simmons, just just a freak of nature. He tested. If you put him with the safety class, he's still in like the 99th percentile too. So. You put him at either position, and and, and the forty is not even the main thing. It's it's the weight to me. People are worried: is this guy going to weigh in at two fifteen? He weighed in at two thirty eight. Like you're looking at linebackers around the league, no one has concerns over Darius Leonard's size in the middle of the Colts defense. Well, guess what? He's two thirty six. Simmons yeah. weighs more than him, and he moves infinitely faster and infinitely better. And infinitely Patrick smoother. Queen came in at so, two thirty, and everyone thought he was going to be two twenty. So like, these guys came in big oh, exactly. and ran fast. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's the biggest thing to me to be able to see that and oh, I didn't lose weight just so I can run a fast forty. I put on the weight and I still ran that fast forty. So I think that's big. And sometimes people they they put a little too much stock into that forty if players are losing weight for it, right? It's like, well, that's yeah. not going to be what they're like on film. This is what they're like on film. This is what they ran, and it, they they proved it this weekend. They they the whole position just smashed it. Uh, one thing on Willie Gay, 
for as big of a fan as I've been, and I, I mean, he was he was top fifty on my board coming into the season, then got suspended, got injured, you know, had you know punched a dude in the face. I was absolutely certain that he was the son of Steelers defensive former Steelers defensive back William Gay, and it was pointed out to me the other day by our guy Eli uh, at Blue Chip Scouting. That unless William Gay was like 13 at the time, he's not related. And I feel really dumb because I'm pretty sure there are multiple articles that I've written that mention son of William Gay. But those articles can't be viewed anymore. So, I mean, we're just going to, I mean, if, maybe I should just stop talking now before I embarrass myself. <laughs> uh, and then day three, I mean, that. I was saying to Devin before you joined, uh, you know, joined before we started, um, Carter, that, day, you know, sorry, day four, uh, the defensive backs day is one of my least favorite days to watch because it's the last day. I'm generally kind of tired. I'm usually behind. I'm trying to play catch up. And Deion Sanders drives me nuts every combine. Every combine, Deion manages to piss me off. So... It's always really hard for me to sit through, and this year was no different because Dion just continued to tell the same three stories over and over again like he always does. But when you look at the on-field stuff, I mean, the corners, really nobody stood out too much to me in terms of like being a combine winner. C.J. Henderson was one, maybe. Darnay Holmes did pretty well. I mean, there were I, if you ask me, I think there were a couple more losers than there were winners. And then at the safety position, I mean, Antoine Winfield Jr., Jeremy Chin, Kyle Duggar, I mean, the safety class did actually a lot better than the corners, in my, in my opinion. Kind of struggle with, because I think this is the day that people most put the most value in, especially to the 40 testing. The corner, compared to a receiver position, right, it's, it's reactionary. You rely much more on that long speed and that pure athleticism at the position compared to, again, like a receiver or something else on offense. Very few corners have success running like four six. Like Josh Norman's like the only guy I can think of, and he's toast and and and, and not very good at this point <laughs> of his career. Um, but he's really the only guy I can think of. And, and Richard Sherman four five six, and even him very scheme specific and and one of a kind player. You're not you don't get many Richard Shermans out there, right? So no. you look at the top guy, C.J. Henderson. We, t we talk about the tackling with him, and look, he's not a very good tackler, and he's not a very willing tackler right now. But all you got to do is kind of change that mindset, and that's obviously a big if. But if you change that mindset, you've got a shutdown corner in every other sense. Size, speed, athleticism, production, checks every box um, at the corner position. And you look at this corner class, and after Jeffrey Okuda, it's wide open. I think he's kind of solidified himself into that CB2 spot. I don't know where that CB2 is going to go but I'd highly doubt it goes past, like, pick 20 at Jacksonville. Yeah, I would agree with both of you guys, but someone that uh, isn't going to be a day one guy or might not even be a day two guy, but uh, maybe a day three guy is uh, Penn State corner John Reed. I think that he had a really impressive combine for someone that, you know, not exactly the, the most – the tallest guy or, you know, the biggest guy, but someone that could potentially play slot corner at the next level. Um, he could be kind of that nickel guy uh, in a, for a defense. Uh, college film, you know, he, he was pretty solid. You know what I'm saying? He, he wasn't a lockdown corner. He wasn't one of those guys that, you know, was going to take a receiver away. But 
He'll he'll make plays on the ball. Uh, he generally doesn't get beat deep. He's usually always in position. Uh, fundamental fundamentally sound. Ran a four four nine at the combine. Uh, I think that's someone you know. I think what came away as a winner as a team that as a person, you know, a, a player that you know we're going to a more pass heavy type league in the NFL now. He's going to be important to to match up with some of those slot receiver guys. Uh, and having to go up against KJ Hamler every day at practice only helps when you got guys like Tyreek Hill and some of those other guys all over the place. So I think that uh, he definitely helped his um, his draft stock and, and potentially being a late day two, early day three kind of pick. And, you know, depending on the scheme or, or where he might fit in, a, a team could really get value out of his pick. Um, Darnay Holmes also had a, a, a very good day. And, you know, of course, Jeff Okuda confirmed what we already know about him. Great hips, uh, excellent ball skills, just everything – Everything he does, he just checks the box. He's certainly uh, DB1, and there's really no debate about that. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, John Reed, again, watched him kind of informally when we were covering the Big Ten on a week-to-week basis. Haven't actually studied his film, but he did pretty well. Uh, I think he has a chance of maybe sliding into, like, day three um, in terms of, like, kind of sneaking into that, like, you know, round five through seven where it's kind of a crapshoot. There were a lot of losers at corner. I mean, just to name off a few, um, Cameron Dantzler, he came in really slow for a dude that's like only 185 pounds. I get that he's 6'2", but he didn't really run all that well. Damon Arnett really came in kind of slow at like 4'5", 4'5", 4'7", something like that. Not going to get it done. Uh, I think one of the biggest ones is a guy that was receiving a little bit of hype coming into it, and it's someone I wrote about in my combine preview. Stanford Samuel III from Florida State. I wrote that he was a traitsy guy, and those guys tend to do well in Indy. And the tape wasn't great, but maybe that was due to Florida State being being really crap. So we'd have to see how it played out. It turns out he's a safety. Like, he is not fast. He does not have very good changes of direction skills. He kind of bombed the, uh, the drills as well. Like, he looked rough. And it, he was a guy where he the tape was bad. I wanted to see if he would maybe show up, be more athlete than player, and he's not a very good athlete either. He's he's just bad. He's just bad. Yeah, I I, I really don't have much to add to that. If there's nothing to add. Yeah. He's bad, yeah. man. Yeah, it, he, he's definitely uh, has to be a loser. You know what I'm saying? It's just someone that you – I mean, what do you say? You know, another one for me is, is Miles Bryant, uh, DB out of Washington. Uh, ran a four six in his forty. Uh, that's not good at all for a DB. Five eight one eighty three. So yeah, not good. It's it just like ah. Also with, him, with 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 him as well. Um, you're talking about five eight. He also had the lowest vert of any corner there Ooh. with thirty two inches. So Ooh, not good. That. Very bad combination of those two things right there. We're talking about guys that may have just cost themselves being drafted. Like, some of these guys, they were kind of like day three fringe guys, and now we're talking, like, probably UDFAs. I think the safeties, uh, again, winners, Antoine Winfield, Jeremy Chin, um, you you could talk, um, Kyle Duggar. Losers, I mean, Jordan Fuller, but, like, no, did anyone think Jordan Fuller was really good to begin with? He's slow, and for a guy that can't tackle and doesn't have good angles and doesn't have great ball skills, like probably 
ran himself out of being drafted. Uh, anyone else I'm missing in terms of like a loser for for safety? Uh, Grant Delpit just for not participating, I guess. But I mean, it's kind of understood. He only finished the season a couple weeks, like six weeks ago, because of the well, all of the LSU guys basically sat this out. I'd also say kind of sitting out there as well, Ashton Davis. Yeah. Um, he's a track star, and he was probably really going to show off that that speed this week. I would not have been surprised if he ran in the four threes. Isn't he injured though? At this, he is. That's what I was going to say. At the senior yeah. bowl, he was talking about he was injured at the senior bowl, but. At the senior bowl, he was really talking about he was he thought he was gonna be ready for the combine. He was doing everything okay. in his power to get ready for the combine. And like two days before the combine, he 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 reported he couldn't go and and um that that's really unfortunate because he was so set on 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 going there at the senior bowl. So unfortunate in that aspect, but really personable kid and probably showed really well in interviews. And I still think he can go a lot higher than people expect. Same. Uh, yeah, another person I thought was a loser is uh, Jalen Elliott, the safety out of Notre Dame, uh, ran a four eight, and he just looked really stiff on on, on the drills. He, he just didn't look that great. Yeah, I haven't really gotten around to Elliott, but uh, yeah, that that was definitely not uh, not a good showing. Uh, so we spent a lot of time on the combine review. Uh, we're kind of going to get through. Uh, this next part, pretty easy. We're just going to kind of go cash or trash on this, uh, just quick fire. And then we got a couple of listener questions as well. So, um, you know, uh, Carter, your coworker over at the Draft Network, Trevor Sikama on his mock draft this week, Tua falling to 13. And the reason he said is because NFL teams were kind of, you know, maybe a little cooler on him than the, uh, than the media thinks. Do so you think that this is smokescreen or is this like cash or trash, guys? Trash. Trash. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I have not talked to Trevor since this article and kind of since this, so I have not really gotten a perspective from him. I do think it's possible. He's not really a prototypical passer. He's a lefty. He's short. Maybe that might scare a couple teams that are kind of stuck in the, the old mindset. But again, in a league that we see Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes becoming MVPs at this point, I think this is more trash than cash. All right, next one. Kyle Duggar, round one. I'm saying right away, this is trash. Uh, there is a different small school safety. That's Jeremy Chin. That would be the guy I'd be way more comfortable taking round one than Kyle Duggar. I agree that I would be much more comfortable. I, I, I prefer Jeremy Chin to Kyle Duggar, but I know for a fact Kyle Duggar is getting a lot of buzz. And we see oh, these box safeties. <laughs> we see these box safeties. Keanu Neal. Jonathan Abrams, maybe guys that struggle to kind of cover vertically. And Kyle Duggar, not a very fluid athlete, and I don't think he really covers very well. But you got these in-the-box safeties, physical, can hit, run sideline to sideline, and that's him. He fills a specific role. I could see a team taking him in the late first. I, I can't for one reason. If he were, I, I, I and this is going to sound potentially, uh, I don't want to say like prejudicial or, or discriminatory, he's a D2 guy. And like, I get that he did really well at the D2 level, and he did he did okay at the Senior Bowl. I think people really kind of overblew how good his Senior Bowl was. I think that every step along the way, Chin has had better tape. Chin had a better, you know, Senior Bowl than, than Duggar, and Chin had a better combine. So it just, it could not be me. So I'm going to say trash on this. I will say trash as well. 
Uh, I recently was taking a look at Jeremy Chin's uh, film, and and he's a he's a really a really great safety. I love his film. Um, I, I love we he, his ball skills is attacking nature. Um, yeah, I just don't see it with Kyle Duggar. I know that he's getting a lot of buzz. I know that uh, you know talks about him in round one are starting to heat up, but I I don't see it. Um, so I'm gonna go with trash as well. All right, and then our last one, the, I mean, people who have read my articles, people that have seen me on Twitter, people who have listened to the podcast, know where I'm going with this one already before I even say it. Adam Troutman, tight end one, trash. Miss me with that. Not happening. Well, I mean, this is a this tight end class. Like, It's possible you don't like Troutman and you still have him tight end one just because of how kind of weak this draft class is at the tight end position. I do not have him tight end one. I think he could go there based on kind of his stock and buzz at this point. He did have a very good combine, did really well in the agility drills. I like his physicality and tenacity from the tight end position. I think he can go up and get it. I think he's a physical pass catcher at the point of attack. I don't really see the consistency from him. I think the small school is a bit of an issue with him as well. And I would be, I mean, I'd spend a pick on, on probably Cole Komet and Hunter Bryant before I spend a pick on Adam Troutman at this point. I have at least six guys ahead of him. I am not high on Troutman at all. Yeah, I'm going to go with Trash as well. Um, I, I just like uh, Bryson Hopkins a lot more, Cole Met, uh, Hunter Bryant. <clears throat> I love. I like all those guys a little bit more than I like Adam Troutman. Um could I see him going tight end one, uh, potentially? I, I guess it really depends on what teams are looking for in a pass catcher in, in the tight end position. Because he, he's definitely the more physical out, out of those ones I just named. Uh, and Bryson Hopkins, I feel like he's more of an Evan Ingram-type role versus, uh, you know, like a traditional tight end, like a, uh, you know, a Kelsey or, or Gronkowski-type. So I, I could see him, depending on what the team needs and what they're kind of looking to do, uh, I guess it depends on their scheme. But I see one of those other guys getting taken before them at this moment. All right, and then we're going to kind of rifle through some of these listener questions because we have gone long. We are usually in around like 30 to 45 minutes, but it's always a good podcast whenever Carter's around. So, like, don't, don't take that as a negative, Carter. We love you. Um, <laughs> First one, we kind of answered it already uh, at the Hojo, biggest combine risers and fallers. We literally just spent a half an hour doing that. Um, but So the first one that we can probably get into, it's a team-specific one from our guy Nick Price, you can, uh, at PriceCheck3. Love that Twitter handle. Which players do you think are the best scheme fits for Baltimore at interior defensive line and at edge? So you guys can just give a name each, I would say, like for each of those. Okay. Uh, I think kind of... They, they, they like to draft guys with, with strong production profiles. Maybe not necessarily strong athletic profiles, but strong production profiles. Polished type of guys. Aja Epineza at the top of, or the, the back of round one, and also Zach Bond at the back of round one would be two guys that I think make a lot of sense for them. Um, For me, I was I was also going to say Epineza. I think, I feel like that's like, a, you know, as soon as you, you hear, you know, inside defense alignment, and we just were talking about Benezza possibly moving down to, you know, the defensive lineman position. I think that that was some a name that immediately popped into my head. Uh, in terms of edge, uh, hmm, 
I mean, I guess it depends. Uh, maybe if they can get Chase on, if he doesn't fall too far, but they they might have to trade up for him. Oh, they're gonna um, have to trade up for him. But other than that, I mean, I guess Zach Bond as well. Uh, I I really I'm really blanking on edges right now, but I'm, I'm gonna have to agree with Carter on this one. Um, so what I see interior defensive line, I know that Baltimore runs kind of a mix three, four front and they have one of the best nose tackles. So we're more talking five tech guys here in terms of defensive line. So I think that I kind of have to go with two guys that are already playing that at the college level. Uh, they actually both play not only in the same state, but in the same conference, Raquan Davis and Marlon Davidson, I think, make a lot of sense at, at them, and they don't have to go early on them. I think both pro- both should be available in day two. There's been a lot of hype about Marlon Davidson going, I heard as high as 11th from the Jets from Peter Schrager, and I needed to lie down after hearing that. Uh, but I think both really should be available in round two. And then edge guys, I mean, listen, I know that it's under a different regime technically, uh, at the top, but I mean, this is a school that has, n- since they came into existence from being the Cleveland Browns, they have never drafted an LSU guy, and that's due to Ozzie Newsom's connections at Alabama. And there is an edge rusher at Alabama that I think actually does fit a lot of what they're looking for, and that's Terrell Lewis. He's from that same mold. I do think that um, DaCosta kind of, you know, we saw a lot that DaCosta came from that same tree of thinking. So there may still be that over-reliance and that that tendency to draft Alabama players. So I think that really SEC guys, proven track record, lots of production, good film, those are the types of guys we're seeing. Or maybe one other guy at edge I could see them taking is Josh Uche because this is the same team that took Tim Williams and Josh Uche is a way better version of Tim Williams. Yeah, I like those picks. Uh, I can't believe Josh Uche slipped my mind. Cause he, didn't, uh, he didn't participate, so I, I mean, yeah. I, I can understand why. Yeah, um, be, yeah next, I like those picks, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The next question we got is from Adrian Aguirre. Um, which late-round running back fits the best with San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan's offense? I'm going to say that the best one that I could think of is maybe either Darrington Evans at Appalachian State, who I think will should go much higher, or Anthony McFarland Jr. out of Maryland. I was going to say Anthony, Anthony McFarland as soon as I heard the question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting these mind tricks, man. But, yeah, I think the Anthony McFarland, uh, his, his ability to catch out of the backfield, um, you know, kind of reminds me of like a scat back. You know, someone that's not going to have a high volume of carries, but – uh, can do a little bit of everything, so I I, I definitely saw him as, as well. I'll switch it up a bit with this one. Um, I think we're looking for a guy again who excels in a wide zone scheme, more diligent and precise in kind of finding open holes in the backfield. Can do a, enough in the pass catching game to be considered a weapon, and that's Keyshawn Vaughn at Vanderbilt. Yeah, Not going to wow anyone, but again, a very solid back, and he fits really well in a zone scheme, and that's exactly what Kyle Shanahan runs. So. All right, these next two, yeah, this is a two-part question, or two questions from the same guy. This is from Ed Orgeron's Burner. Last year, I had a day one grade on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and early two, uh, 
early day two on Amani Arawarie, and they slipped to the fourth and fifth rounds, respectively. Who's going to be this year's version of those guys graded highly on draft Twitter falling that far? Carter, I'm going to let you take this one away. You are, like, the king of draft Twitter, it seems, so. All right. Uh, this is a good question. Um, I don't think anything will kind of be that drastic i know with chauncey gardner johnson it wasn't a talent thing it was more of kind of an interview thing and teams were kind of thrown off uh, kind of due to that portion of his game and we just don't have the insight to those types of things so we don't really know that if there's one player who could fall i'm not talking about fourth or fifth round but i'm just talking about like falling farther than people can kind of expect right now it'd be grant delpit at lsu Right now, we see guys' stock rising at the safety position. You could see Antoine Winfield Jr., Ashton Davis, and Xavier McKinney all going before him at the safety position. He could end up as the fourth safety off the board, potentially falling into the 40s or 50s on draft day. Just because, again, injured, struggled in 2019 a bit, and had some issues tackling. So I think those are three knocks on him that other corners and other sorry, other defensive backs just don't have at this point, and I could see him falling as a result. Devin, who you got? Uh, let's see. In, in in terms of, uh, are you talking in general or just in general? Players? In, in, it, it doesn't really matter. Just whoever. Um, I really think that, you know, kind of the, the split on Tyler Johnson kind of makes me think that this will be the case where there's a lot of people that think he could go you know, a lot of people for a while thought he could go first, second round. Uh, I could see him falling like really really far, um, even farther than some people expect. Uh, just from from the standpoint, you know, you don't participate in the, the Shrine uh, Bowl game and then you don't participate in the Combine. Uh, now a lot kind of rides on his pro day, and now you're kind of worrying about, you know, you've heard things in the past of, like, character issues. So I could certainly see him falling quite a bit and really – I mean, he could. I don't know if it will happen, but fourth round maybe. Uh, I guess it really depends on what happens over these next the next month or two. Well, next month I should say. But uh, I, I kind of see him in that aspect, and then uh, I think Tyler Biotish is someone that will I think is continuing to fall because you, you're seeing these other interior interior offensive linemen, uh, Nick Harris, Cesar Ruiz really getting that buzz and you just really haven't heard much about him or much from him. So, I mean, maybe he slips mid to late second round. Um, but, uh, it, it was crazy that, you know, initial mock drafts, people have, him, you know, end of the, you know, end of the first round. Uh, and then it just kind of gradually gone down and down and down. So those are kind of the two guys I see. So I got one offensive guy and one defensive guy. So I'm going to start with the defensive guy. Noah Igbenogane out of Auburn, he is definitely the the epitome of more athlete than player. Um, I like Igbenogane. He's uh, CB7 for me, which still puts him probably in my top 50 overall. Uh, I have him ahead of guys like AJ Terrell and Cameron Dantzler, who are also kind of draft Twitter guys. Um, I just have, you know, again, he's so raw and he's very much just a speed type of guy, so I wonder how the NFL is going to truly value that. I wouldn't surprise me if he fell into day three. And then you mentioned him already, uh, Devin, Tyler Biotish. Um, I mean, just when you think about it, we've seen the ascent of guys like Cesar Ruiz, Lloyd Cushenberry, Matt Hennessy, 
Nick Harris, Robert Hunt, uh, Natane Muti from Fresno State, Damian Lewis from LSU. Tyler Biotish's name has not been said in like two months. Uh, the only one other one I could think of that like I'm high on that I think could fall would be Shane Lemieux, the interior offensive lineman from Oregon. But he's not a draft Twitter guy. Not a lot of draft Twitter guys have him ranked very high. So that's just what I think. Uh, and then our last question, then we'll get out of here. Last year, the Raiders had three first round. This is also from Ed Orgeron's Burner, which is an amazing name. Uh, go Dodgers. Uh, thanks, Coach. Last year, the Raiders had three round one picks, and their first being at four. This year, the Dolphins have three with their first be, uh, being at five. What would be the equivalent to the Cleveland Farrell pick that is just such a question mark with so many superior players on the board? God, I love this question. <laughs> I liked Cleveland Farrell last year, but I love this question. <laughs> I'm going to let you guys take this. I, I mean, look, I there's nothing wrong with Cleveland Farrell. Just not a four. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Cleveland Farrell. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with Cleveland Farrell. Late first round, early round two as a guy. Again, this was a dependable pass rusher who could who could play solid against Iran. But lack of bend, lack of upside kind of limited him to a, a role that was probably, again, more suited for that late first, early second round. Great. Similar to that, I think this year with Miami, I think with Oakland last year, now Las Vegas, we all knew, again, they were going defensive line and edge. We just didn't expect him. We expected maybe Josh Allen or, or, or someone else on at edge, or maybe even Brian Burns at edge. This year, if we're looking at the Dolphins' top needs, we're looking at offensive tackle and we're looking at quarterback. So if we're looking at two players that fit those needs but just aren't really assumed as, as the top guys there right now, I'd go... Andrew Thomas, and again, nothing wrong with Andrew Thomas. I just think those, there's better value there at five. And then at quarterback, it would be Jordan Love. So I think those would be the two guys that you would think they fill the need, not terrible players, but again, just a reach at that point with other superior players on the board. Yeah, I would say uh, anything before, like, pick 15 would uh... – Honestly, I mean, we talked a lot about him. I mean, I would say I, I doubt that any team will pick Epineza at this point at three, but I feel like that would be a name for sure. Um, and then also, I think now at kind of at that point where, you know, Delpit is really starting to fall, I think him, Pat, like anything past like 12, like 13 or 14, like anything earlier than that, I think will be uh, a bit of a reach. I mean, the talent is there the you know the ability is there but just the the concerns are, are pretty high with him yeah you guys both made very good points um and i'm going to kind of piggyback off what carter said with we kind of know what their biggest needs are we're looking at running back we're looking at offensive tackle edge rusher and quarterback now it wouldn't shock me if these two reports are true i don't think that justin herbert would be the pick at 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 five, and I think if they don't pick a quarterback at five, they're just not picking one this year, and they'll wait till next year with Trevor Lawrence. So I'm kind of going based off of not picking a quarterback for this one, so I'm looking at edge, and I'm looking at offensive tackle. Now at four, I mean, I like Mekki Becton, or Mekhi Becton. I still haven't quite figured out how to actually say it yet. But at, sorry, if we're talking at pick five, uh, there's my one. Because the chances of, like, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas hitting are a lot higher than a Mekhi Becton. 
because we've seen guys similar to him be taken a lot later. My comp for Becton is Marcus McNeil, who was actually almost athletically the exact same. Same with Bryant McKinney. Those guys are a lot harder to hit on, especially nowadays. So Makai Becton at five would be one, and I you really want to go to the second pick. I think that if, I mean, I like them, but I think if at 18 they took Yitor Gross Matos, I would probably have a similar reaction to um, to Cleveland Furl at four. It's a good player. It's just too early. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. I think you I think you nailed nailed it there. Um, I don't really have any any issues with uh, any of the stuff you just said. Yeah, I mean, Gross Matos, great talent, uh, but. Uh, definitely a far reach for going that high, for sure. All right. I think that, uh, well, we, we've been going for, for for a bit. Let's just put it that way. I think it's a perfect time to p- kind of put a bow on it for today. So, again, you can find me on Twitter, MikeH underscore draft. You can find Devin on Twitter, RealD underscore Jackson. You can find Carter and all the great work he does at thedraftnetwork.com, at cdonic 3 on Twitter. Uh, oh, and if you haven't done so already, TDN Premium, sign up for it. It's amazing. It's how I did that amazing mock draft that not a single person ever had an issue with. It was because we could do trades. And who doesn't love doing trades and mock drafts? Ad-free stuff. Devin, have you signed up for TDN Premium? I have not yet. We're going to have to have some words after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but until next week, guys, for me... For Carter, who, I mean, we'll probably have you on in like another two months or so to talk draft review, because of course we will. And for Devin, take it easy, guys.